Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today's episode of SFF yeah is sponsored in part by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life. Want great new science fiction and fantasy books to read but overwhelmed by all the publishing buzz? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading likes and dislikes and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so you can treat your shelf and support an indie too. And TBR is also available as a gift. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 84, and we're recording on July 24th. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we're talking about the series we'd most like to read for the first time and why. And these are, as I clarified for (laughs) myself, (laughs) series we have already read that we would love to reread. So yeah. This was this was one of my like random middle of the night brain children podcast theme ideas, uh, but I did. I love it. Uh, yeah, I did. I did realize we like we've had a week of misreadings over here, and that Sharif was like, "Am I? Was I wrong?" And I was like, "Oh no, was I wrong?" And but no, both of us both of us prepped for the same thing. Which is exciting and great. (laughs) That was like the best news I'd had, even though like the worst news theoretically was created in my imagination. It was still the best news I heard today. I blame quarantine brain. Seriously. Uh, So I guess we had some feedback about our Philip Pullman conversation last episode. Did you want to talk about that? Yeah. So we had an email and then I got an Instagram DM from listeners because we had been talking about how both of us were very, let's say, trepidatious about reading Mm. more books in the His Dark Materials world because we've been burned before. And thank you to Carolyn and Alice for writing in. Carolyn says that the first book of Dust, La Belle Sauvage, was pretty good, uh, reminiscent of The Odyssey, but The Secret Commonwealth, a much darker book about Lyra as a disenchanted, bitter young adult, is absolutely amazing. And then Alice from Instagram said that she's read La Belle Sauvage and enjoyed Baby Lyra and Baby Pan, didn't love it as much as his dark materials, but would read again and is waiting on the second from the library. And I said to Alice, and I'll say it again, that Baby Lyra and Baby Baby Pan is like the one phrase that's tempted me to read that book. Uh, Although, you know, Carolyn's review about um, The Secret Commonwealth is interesting as well. So apparently they are worth your time, which is good to know. 
I do like the sound of darker book about a disenchanted, <laughs> bitter young adult. I mean, <laughs> of course we like that. <laughs> oh, this is good. I'm glad that that we got some feedback because I really wasn't sure what to think about these books. And maybe like I may be a few steps closer to actually picking them up. Yes, same, same. So thank you, everybody. Yes, thank you for, for enlightening us. We super appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> let's see. So before we get into our news, I will do a sponsor read. And our first sponsor is the audiobook edition of Axiom's End by Lindsay Ellis. This book is everywhere. I don't know if other people are seeing as many references to it as I am, but I just like can't go anywhere on the internet without seeing people talking about this book. It is an alternate history first contact adventure. And it is about a well-timed leak that has revealed that the U.S. government may have engaged in first contact. Cora Sabino is doing everything she can to avoid the whole mess, since the force driving the controversy is her whistleblower father. She wants nothing to do with him until she learns just how deeply entrenched her family is in the cover-up and that an extraterrestrial presence has been on Earth for decades, which sounds like a whole lot of family and, like, humanity alien drama. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. The audiobook is read by Stephanie Willis and Oliver Thorne. It's always nice when there's a multi-narrator audiobook, I think, or, or so I hear from people who listen to more audiobooks than I do. <laughs> and, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so I've been hearing lots about this book, like I said, and you can check it out now. And again, the audiobook is available. Uh, so this is, again, for Axiom's End by Lindsay Ellis. Mm, exciting. Mm -hmm. I had not heard of that, so I'm glad it's on my radar. Oh, well, so then it's just my corner of the internet. That's so. It's always interesting. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't know. I guess maybe more fantasy i don't know what is going on i could also just be like living in a cave right now which i am well that's so. i mean a hundred percent fair so <laughs> uh okay let's see um i let, i'm gonna pick our first news story and i want to talk about this interview with the director of the old guard which mm -hmm. is a movie that just aired on netflix very recently that i watched i had it marked on my calendar i was so excited wow <laughs> i did i literally had it marked on my calendar <laughs> because it is an action film based on a comic about an immortal super soldier squad that centers two female characters one is Andy, who is like a thousands of year old, like badass mercenary queen played by Charlize Theron in the movie. So obviously that's amazing. And mm -hmm. then the other main female character is a U.S. Marine. Her name is Niall Washington. She is a black character and she's played by actress Kiki Lane. And she is like a she's newly discovered that she's an immortal. She gets killed in the 
course of a mission um, in, I believe they're in Afghanistan. And, uh, and, and she comes back and she has no idea what's going on. The army is like going to bustle her off to study her. But uh, Andy comes and like basically kidnaps her. And it's like, by the way, you're immortal. Do you want to join my <laughs> squad? And Niall is like, WTF is going on. <laughs> Um, and fair. Then, yeah, fair. Exactly. Very re- hashtag relatable. Uh, and, so, <laughs> and the movie was directed by Gina Prince Blythewood, who has been directing for decades. She's also the director of Love and Basketball. But this is, I believe, her first like action movie. And so there's a lot of cool... Like, it's weird that this is, like, a lot of firsts for the action genre, but it is. And so that's cool and also, like, a little bit infuriating. But this interview is really great because it's it's uh, the director talking about, like, how this came to be, why she was excited to work on this property in particular, um, what were the challenges of putting the movie together and getting it on screen, and, like, what's it like to work with Netflix. So it's a really interesting look behind the scenes. And I loved this movie. It is an extremely satisfying action movie. Charlize Theron is always a great physical actress. I had not seen Kiki Lane before, but I really enjoyed her performance. And there's a like romantic gay pairing that I like. They're my cinnamon roll immortal boyfriends now. I love them Aww. forever. They're so sweet. So it has a lot going <laughs> for it, is what I want to say to you. There are some like I have some, you know, capital P problems with a few plot choices that I'm assuming came from the comics, although I don't know for sure. But it'll be I'm very curious to see if they do a sequel, how they do it. And I really did enjoy the movie for the most part. So we're going to leave that interview. It's on Zora, which is a great uh, outlet that y'all should check out. And yeah, I highly recommend watching the movie, read the interview. It's good stuff. That's going on my watch list for the weekend, for yes. sure. Yes. Get some Especially since pop, it's a movie. Pop some popcorn, you know, get ready for like two hours of, of excellent action. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to talk about, okay, I'm going to talk about this study I found that I think is just so completely fascinating. And we sort of already did a bit of a discussion about it on our Slack channel because I just could not resist. Um, But there's this new study that came out. As Jen had mentioned in our previous conversation, not necessarily new news, but this study has come up that is sort of offering these practices for controlling your lucid dreams. And of course, in this piece, they bring up Inception, which is a movie that very much dealt in that sort of thing in a very meta sort of way. And this study actually has tips where you can potentially develop the skills over time to control your dreams. And I have all sorts of thoughts that came up from reading this because I think a lot of us have at least heard of lucid dreaming, which is when you are conscious and aware in your dream and you can perhaps even manipulate your dream 
to serve whatever purpose you want it to serve. And I remember coming across this concept probably as a teenager, I'm sure through some science fictional avenue or something. And I remember actually attempting in my own very non-scientific way to do, to practice lucid dreaming. And I actually did manage to once in a while and still can once in a blue moon, but they have like these percentages of how many people can actually ex have experienced a lucid dream. So it's 55% of adults according to um, the Sci psychological journal Frontiers. 55% of adults have experienced a minimum of one lucid dream and 23% experience lucid dreams regularly. And this was the shocking number to me at the rate of once a month or more. Uh, because when I tried it in the past, it was very like, it was challenging. Like it was one of those things where I was kind of astonished that I was able to be aware that I was dreaming. And then, so this, the article brings up a couple of points that I, I kind of, was curious about, but I wanted to know about your experience with lucid dreaming as well, Jen. Yeah. So Sharifa, right, like she said, she dropped it into the Slack and I was like, oh, I've got <laughs> stuff about this, but I'm going to save it for the <laughs> podcast. So I found when I was a teenager, we went to used bookstores constantly because new books were too expensive for the most part. And so mm -hmm. I found a lucid dreaming book that had a cassette tape um, because that was wow. how you listened. <laughs> yeah. And I still had a Walkman. And my first year of college, I took it with me and I like taught I did the thing I like listened to the set tape I read the book and I learned how to lucid dream and I was getting to the point where I was remembering three to five regular dreams a night which is kind of the first step right is like like to yeah. actually remember that you have dreamt and what was in those dreams and then I was starting to like pretty regularly lucid dream and all I wanted to do was fly. I think we you said this too, like all I wanted yeah. to do was yes. fly in my dreams because I had had flying dreams as a kid, but never like chosen. And I also, I, I had, I, I, this still happens to me, although not as frequently, but especially when I was a teenager and a young adult, I had these really violent stress dreams. Oh, and wow. one yeah it was really they were always extremely violent um and I was like trying I was on the run or like trying to like protect myself or other people but they were always really really violent and I um took to lucid dreaming as like an attempt to help that and so if I could wake up in that dream I would be like well now it's time to fly away like and if I could fly away I could get away and then I wouldn't yeah. be stuck in the nightmare anymore and it worked it actually worked um <sighs> And so, yeah, I got really good at it for a while. And then I stopped, you know, it requires, you do have to invest time and effort to train your brain to do it. Like it's a, it's a skill that you can lose if you don't maintain the the muscle, the mental muscle. Um, and so now I don't really lucid, I haven't lucid dreamed in a while. Uh, and I, I mostly remember my dreams a little bit, but not so much. And, but it's just, it was just so funny because reading this article just tossed me right back to freshman year of college when I was like, like doing all of this lucid dreaming and it was really it was really fun and really interesting um and it also reminded me I don't know if you did you ever see Waking Life Sharifa I haven't so it's Is this it a yeah it's this 
weird Richard Linklater film that came out in 2001, and I have this extremely vivid sense memory of seeing it in the like dinky, dirty, like crusty old theater that was next to campus <laughs> that would play like random things at like midnight on Saturdays or it was Friday. You could like they would play like Goonies or like Never Ending Story or sometimes you know weird indie films like Waking Life, and they filmed it. And then they animated over top of it. And it's just like a bunch of it is the whole thing is like a weird dream that is about dreaming. The whole film is about dreaming. And you feel like you're in a dream the whole time. And it's got like, I don't know, Keanu Reeves in it, is in it, among other people. It's a really what? random cast. It is. It's such a random, weird movie. And I saw it at like midnight, you know, at a midnight showing in college. And I felt like I had like hallucinated the whole experience. It's really odd. I haven't watched it since then, so I have no idea how well it holds up. But if that's a thing that you're interested in having as an experience, I think you can still find it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This whole your whole discussion <laughs> is all, almost more interesting than this article. <laughs> I just like want to have a sit down on a couch and really discuss these <laughs> dreams and that experience because I only had I also wanted to fly not for any real important reasons like trying to get away from some violent scene but just because I was literally I just wanted to yeah, be it's awesome. a magical person. Uh, <laughs> but I only mine were so frustrating. I was basically like the worst witch of dreamland <laughs> because I would always manage it but I could only get like in my dreams, I could only get like a couple of inches above the floor. And it was the most frustrating, Aww. infuriating experience that I was very disappointed in myself. Oh, but, no. But maybe I'll practice these tools, which you can see if you want to try this out and like exercise that part of your brain, you can try it out. They have all sorts of steps and tools you can use. And I really, really want to hear about people's experiences if you do try this, because I don't know if I'm going to try it. I um the, the one thing I was wondering about, which they brought up the good point about uh, for people, and it sounds like this is sort of similar to your experience. For some people, it might be it could be a therapeutic thing or it could be for people to experience things they can't in real life due to whatever like a debilitating illness or some sort of restriction, like a physical restriction, which I think was a really interesting point. But mm. then there was also the part of me that was like, well, if dreams are your brain's way of processing things that have happened to you, if you're the one in control of that with your waking mind, how will that have a long-term effect on the way your brain is able to process in its abstract way yeah. things you have seen and registered? So that's the only thing. And I have no answer to that. I don't know if it's something that is actually a potential problem, but... You know, I think it's a it's an interesting exploration. Yeah, my experience was that lucid dream sleep was not as restful as other kinds of yeah. sleep. And sometimes I would wake up like feeling more tired than if I hadn't been lucid dreaming. And I also found um that the process of remembering my dreams was, in fact, pretty therapeutic in interesting ways, but also, like, was a little bit 
exhausting. So, uh, so, and other people may have different experiences. Um, but I do remember how, how fun and satisfying it was to be like, peace out. I'm going to fly now (laughs) in the dreams that I managed it. Um, that was pretty great. So yeah, I wouldn't recommend doing it like constantly all the time, I would say, but yeah, everything in moderation. Exactly. You're exactly right. (laughs) Oh boy! Okay. Yeah. So, all right. Let's that was see. A good one. <laughs> that was a good one. That's a that was a good find. That was a good find. Thank uh, you. Let's talk about let's talk about the Paper Girls Amazon series that's happening. Speaking of, yes. since we talked about graphic novels getting made into things, so Paper Girls is a comic series from Brian K. Vaughn and Cliff Chang. You might also know Brian K. Vaughn from Saga and Why the Last Man. And it is a really... I remember when this one first came out, the buzz was all over the place because it is literally about like a little group of you know, tweenagers, like 12-year-old mm-hmm. girls who are paper girls in 1980s Ohio. And then, you know, all of these like weird things start happening and it turns into out that there are time travelers and like they're messing up you know things in their neighborhood and um it got comped a lot to like goonies and stranger things and all of these other you know uh properties that were very buzzy and amazon is has greenlit a series, uh, a TV series, it looks like. And they haven't cast anything yet. Um, there are four female leads for the show. Um, but it does have showrunners announced. Toy Story 4's Stephanie Folsom. And then Halt and Catch Fire creators Christopher Cantwell and Christopher C. Rogers. And then Vaughn and Chang, who are the creators, will be executive producers. And I think that can mean a lot of different things about, like, how much involvement they have. But hopefully they'll get to make sure that it goes well (laughs) is how I'm going to phrase that. (laughs) Yes. I'm actually – this is one of those – comics where when I picked it up the first time and read it I 100% was certain that somebody was going to pick it up and make an adaptation Mm. because it was I believe when it came out and they do mention stranger things here there like that they say the series isn't not like Netflix things but I think they are trying to like distinguish that it's not quite the same thing and that can be the case. They say it's like Goonies plus now and then trapped in H.G. Wells nightmares. Yeah. But it was definitely one of those, we all have sort of the nostalgic feelings and a lot of those shows and movies are coming out that remind us of things like Goonies or kid gangs who are up against weird things. And also stylistically, this comic is so, there's such an iconic aesthetic Mm. to the comic that I think is going to be really interesting to see represented visually like I think they just have so much to work with so I'm really excited like just even from a creative standpoint of how they're going to creatively adapt this and make it look the way it did in the comics that was so eye-catching and you know, gave it so many fans. So Mm -hmm. I'm really excited. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll be super interested to see what the casting ends up looking like. Mm-hmm. And and also, yeah, like how are they gonna how it does you're right, it has such a distinctive look and feel and how will that translate to the screen? Yeah. I suppose we shall see. Yeah. In like two more years, we'll find out. <laughs> well, depending on how things go, maybe in a decade. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm like laughing and crying. Yes. It's a lull sob moment. It's a lull sob. Yes, it absolutely is. Well, we've talked a lot extensively about our news but i suppose we can mention that the winners of the 2019 shirley jackson awards were announced so congratulations to all the winners we'll drop a link to the full list but for novel the book of x by sarah rose etter won orm shadow which is a book i keep seeing repeated by priya sharma should probably go on my tbr because i'm seeing it everywhere that one for novella and you can check out the rest of the winners. Congratulations to everybody who won. Mm-hmm. All right. So before we get into our series, we have read and wish we could read again. I'm going to tell you about our next sponsor, which is The Sin in the Steel by Ryan Van Lone, coming to us from Tor Books. Ryan Van Loan's The Sin in the Steel is a sparkling debut fantasy featuring dead gods, a pirate queen, shape-shifting mages, and a Sherlockian teenager determined to upend her society. It's been weeks since ships last returned to Cervenza with bounty from the shattered coast. When Buck and Eld are hired to investigate, Buck discovers that the trade routes have become the domain of a pirate queen who sinks all who defy her. Now all Buck and Eld have to do is sink her ship. Unfortunately for Buck, the gods have other plans. Unfortunately for the gods, so does Buck. This is described as an action-driven second world fantasy. It's packed with fights and sea battles, chases, narrow escapes. This is a debut and the first book in a series. So if you're looking for a new series to follow, definitely check out the Sin in the Steel, and again, that's by Ryan Van Loan, coming to us from Tor Books. Thanks for sponsoring today's episode. All right, let's talk about our series. Yes. And I'm very sorry for everybody who is listening, because I'm going to talk about Binti again. <laughs> And I think that the most novel thing about my science fiction pick and the thing I realized, and I really realized because I knew this all along, unfortunately, is that it made me realize how exceptionally bad I am at completing series. <laughs> like, I, I know that I, I am bad, but I'm really bad because I literally had to go through... I went through my Goodreads, I stared at my shelves, and I was like, what science fiction fan? I mean, what science fiction series have I finished? Binti is one of them. So very <laughs> proud of that. And I guess it says a lot when I do finish a series. And that happened in the case of this series of novellas, which 
are now, to make it a little bit more timely, collected in an omnibus, and the paperback edition actually just released this month. So if you have been sitting on this series, you now have the opportunity to pick them all up at once in the omnibus in the paperback edition. And I just think this is such a great series, especially for people like me who are really bad at finishing series. Because with there are three novella length works, right? So you're not looking at a daunting reading list, which is something I am in deep, deep fear of at all times. <laughs> and you can honestly finish the whole series in under a week. So it's a really great one if you want to feel that sense of accomplishment and have a really fantastic story and get to know the works of Nettie Okorafor. So the story follows a young Himba woman, Binti, who strikes out from her tribe against orders and precedent um, so she can attend this prestigious Umza University. And Binti's this really incredibly smart character, smart enough to be one of very few people selected to attend this university. So she boards this ship that's going to take her off her planet to get her higher education. And she does so with a lot of uncertainty and a lot of anticipation. And it's clear from the start that Binti is different from the way people look at her and the way they respond to her and the markers of her culture. There's a lot of xenophobia going on and a lot of uh, prejudice. But what the judgy xenophobic strangers are really ignorant of is Binti's intellect and the ways her personality and her experiences make her special as well as the only person who's boarding this ship who even stands a chance of dealing with what's ahead, which is a lot of bad business. So the series centers around Binti and this alien race known as the Medusa. 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 <laughs> Plural. I suppose of Medusa, who have this fearsome reputation for violence and who also, as it happens, invade this ship that Binti boards. So from there, we get to see Binti's numerous talents play out, and we get this really captivating story about empathy and cultural awareness, and also these communication divides that become kind of the crux of the story. And it explores exploitation and its repercussions, and it also features a character you can really root for, and I think one that's really relatable as well for all the nerdy people out there. And to me, this is just a perfect series that I would recommend to readers both new to sci-fi and very familiar with it. And if I was a rereader, I would absolutely read this one again because I wouldn't be thinking about how much other reading I had to do since it wouldn't take up a big chunk of my time. And actually, the more I thought about it while I was I was thinking about this series, I can picture myself for instance, checking out the audiobook version since I didn't get to experience the stories that way. And I wonder if it would be an exciting way of reading it again, yeah. sort of, for the first time. I mean, that's always a possibility. So anyway, you've heard it from me before and you're hearing it again. You should definitely pick up the Binti trilogy by Nettie Okorafor. I love that. I love the idea of a, a reread in a different format. That makes total sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. I picked, so I picked, I, I this was such an interesting question 
to think about because I have so many series that I love, a lot of which I've talked about on the show before. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, how much retreading am I willing to do? How far back in my reading do I want to go? Because there are some series where, like, because I haven't reread them, I'm not sure how they've held up. So it's it's a fine balance between nostalgia and, you know, more recent reading habits. And so, so, but the series that I picked for my... I want to talk about my fantasy series first because it it really, chronologically, it comes before my sci-fi series that I picked and it really was... A really pivotal moment. It's the Dreamblood duology by N.K. Jemisin. And we talk about her all the time for obvious reasons. Her books are amazing. But this series was not only the first books I ever read by her, but it was also the first epic fantasy series I had read probably since high school and I read this in like I want to say 2012 right around there 2012 2013 2011 something like that and I I I you know because when I went to college I was reading for college right and I I was yeah. I, I thought I was like too smart now for sci-fi fantasy that wasn't <laughs> you know acclaimed by the literary canon in some way and I graduated from college and worked in books. And, you know, I just, I wasn't encouraged to read a lot of science fiction and fantasy that was new. Um, I just, I don't know what happened to me, but I, I really, it's, it's like kind of unfathomable to me sitting where I am now. But I just didn't read sci-fi and fantasy for a while. And then I think it was a friend of mine who was talking to me about this. And I was telling her, I was like, well, they're all kind of the same. Like, once you've read Tolkien, you've kind of read everything. Like, everybody's just rehashing Tolkien and epic fantasy. So why do I, what am I even going to, I'll just reread Tolkien again. Like, I don't need to read anything that's not as good as Tolkien, but, you know, is basically doing Tolkien. And she was like, no, 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 you don't understand. (laughs) Like, you're not wrong that that exists, but also there's so many great new things, including, and she handed me the Dreamblood duology, which is inspired by Egypt in particular, uh, among other African cultures and civilizations, and has so much fascinating world building And you couldn't get any farther from like that European, you know, British epic fantasy if you wanted to. I mean, you could actually, but like this was the farthest I had ever been from that kind of epic fantasy in my entire life. And it was like a bomb had exploded in my brain. I was like, I didn't know anybody was doing this. This is amazing. Like I just hadn't been exposed to much epic fantasy in particular that was doing anything like this. And so it was it was such an eye-opening, amazing moment for me. And it let me feel like I could sort of reclaim epic fantasy for myself without feeling like I was just rereading the stuff I had read as a kid. And I like that is that is just you know, priceless in in my reading life because it opened the door to so many amazing books and so many other amazing authors that I just wonder how much longer it would have taken me to find if I hadn't been handed this 
two-book series at the time that I was handed it. It was really, it was really key in my development as a reader. And so I have a lot of, I have a lot of feelings. I also feel like this, this two-book series is her least sort of, I, when I talk to N.K. Jemisin fans, most folks have read the Inheritance trilogy. Obviously, the Broken Earth trilogy is very mm-hmm. widely read. I don't feel like there's as many folks who have read the Dreamblood duology which is so good. There's assassin, like priests, and there's dream magic. Speaking of dreaming, there's dream magic, and there's amazing characters from all different, you know, angles. And I, I just, there's it's such a fascinating exercise in world building, and it's so satisfying to read. Um, it is. It does make me wish there were more in this world because the system of magic in here is just so interesting and there's so many possibilities um but it is a very good two book series and like Sharifa was saying like we don't all have time for a 14 book series (laughs) there's just two you can totally do it it's totally fine uh so the first book is called the killing moon and the second book is called the shadowed sun and i super duper recommend it and also i just have obviously all of the feelings about this series so i've been talking about the dream blood duology by nk jemison I love that. I'm also really happy you didn't just do a bunch of rereads because this podcast would have been really difficult to do if that was the case. (laughs) And I legit downloaded the audiobook of The Killing... Was it The Killing Moon? Yeah. The first book? Yeah. Uh, Once I saw this because I'm one of those people who hasn't read the Dream Blood series. Yay! Yay! I'm very excited. Okay, well, I will also talk about my fantasy now. And this is the same sort of, this is definitely one of those fantasy series where I had the rare experience of literally picking up one book after another. Like I did not pause in between Mm. reading, which is something that rarely, like it's happened maybe once or twice. In my entire reading experience. So it's the Abhorson or Old Kingdom series by Garth Nix, depending on where you are, different series names. So it's it, this is definitely a series I don't ever see myself reading again, even though I really desperately wish I could because the experience of reading it for the first time was so singular. Mm. And it was, I came into it knowing nothing about the story. So it's my favorite kind of fantasy. It features reluctant young women who have a really dark but heroic road ahead of them and they need to defeat some kind of world-threatening evil. And it features boarding schools of sorts, necromancy, and also, of course, talking animals, which is a favorite. And I just thought, especially with a book where I was coming into it without any sort of expectations. It was almost ridiculous how deep in my wheelhouse this series is. (laughs) And the book, the books actually follow two main characters, Sabriel and Lirael. And it kicks off with Sabriel who inherits this Aborison title, protecting the old kingdom and the non-magical world from this encroaching evil and then there's Sabriel is joined by this, my favorite fictional cat, Mogget, who we've talked about before on the podcast. 
And Liriel's story starts apart from Sabriel's in the House of the Clairs, who are a clairvoyant people. And Liriel is joined by the disreputable dog, which is another furry favorite. And her story takes her on a journey of self-discovery and heroism. And the, the whole series is just so full of adventure and so engaging and immersive. And I think perhaps I was just also really craving a really great adventure series with characters I couldn't get enough of. And perhaps in my experience, I have, even though I have loved certain characters, I didn't necessarily feel so compelled to follow them through the series that I didn't pick up a completely different book and kind of forget my way from the first book. So this had that for whatever reason, maybe it was just that it had such a huge combination of all my favorite things, which is really sad that it takes that much to make me finish a series. Like, <laughs> goodness gracious, like I need to tone it down a little. But it was just like chock-a-block with all my favorite things. And I couldn't get enough of it. And I kept wishing for more, but also felt really good that it did end in a satisfying way. And I just found the characters so relatable. I think Sabriel and Liriel are two such different characters in some ways. Like Sabriel is more confident and in command and kind of the character you want to be. And then Liriel is the relatable sort of, she doesn't have it all together. She doesn't know where she fits in. She's a little bit of a, a lost person in her world. And I think that that also combined was just irresistible to me. And I came to the series late. I don't know how I didn't hear about it and have everything ruined for me because it feels like everybody read this in their youth. I mean, that was probably like 10 years ago for me when I was not in my youth. So there's that also. But it's a great series to follow, and there's plenty of content. All the books are out. There are some short stories as well if you need to fill in, um, if, you're, if you just want more of that world, of the Old Kingdom. I think that everybody should check out this series. So again, I've been talking about the Old Kingdom series by Garth Nick. I had a very similar experience. I had never read them until I was in my 20s. I don't know how or why. And I knew almost nothing about it. But a friend shoved them at me and was like, how have you not read these yet? Like, go home and read them. <laughs> it's like magic. We it just is. stumbled upon them by magic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The magic of the magic of sci-fi fantasy. It's a good magic. Um, yes. <laughs> all right. So so now I'll talk about my science fiction pick, which I so so I read the Dreamblood duology by N.K. Jemisin. I think it was it was either 2011 or 2012. And I went on this tear. I was like, now that this door has been open, it's like you, I'm unstoppable. Like I'm grabbing everything off the bookstore shelves. I'm like taking things home. I'm not supposed to. I'm looking high and I'm like, give me all of this. Like I didn't know that people were doing new, interesting, cool things. Like I just have been out of the loop for so long. 
and a publishing friend who works for the Random House imprint that was reissuing these was like, oh, I know what you need. And she sent me Turbulence and Resistance, two separate books. First one is Turbulence, second one is Resistance by Sumit Basu. And these were the like diverse, inclusive superhero stories that I also had. I was like, every, you know, it's like, it's X-Men. I was, I loved X-Men, but I'm tired of X-Men. Like, this is what I needed. And they follow a group of people who are on a plane and suddenly, like, out of nowhere, mid-flight, everybody on this plane, which was going from London to Delhi, uh, has, like, superpowers. And these superpowers are connected to their innermost desires. And these desires might not even be conscious ones. So you might just like get off the plane and suddenly you find you have the power to like split yourself into multiples or to, you know, change the flow of time or to, you know, whatever, like find food wherever you want it. Like weird, fun, scary, violent, peaceful, all different kinds of superpowers. And they don't know how, they don't know why. All that they know is that everybody on this one flight suddenly has these abilities and some of them use their powers for good and some of them do not and this is like the battle between these people who have out of nowhere have powers that like they don't even necessarily understand why they have them and I am so attached to some of these characters it's ridiculous <laughs> like yeah like almost 10 years later there's certain characters I'll think about and I'll like get teary-eyed I'm like oh Aww. like they're oh like the reason why they have this power it's like so moving oh my gosh I can't even handle it like it's just so the characters are so great the action sequences are amazing I wish somebody would turn these into a tv show it would be fantastic it would be so freaking good good like I need this to exist in the world and yeah in the same way that like the dream blood duology offered me something I just had not encountered for the turbulence and resistance offered me the superhero stories I had never encountered before and it just like fed that that excitement to like dive back into what had been my favorite genre as a kid and I had like kind of fallen by the wayside um in in my you know late teens and early 20s so so it has a special place in my heart for that but also I really do need like Amazon somebody with money Apple I don't care who like somebody make this (laughs) into a show uh so again that's turbulence and resistance by Sumit Basu. Sounds perfect for a show. Yeah. Maybe one day. We'll see. We'll be talking about it in the news section. Yes, that's right. Well, that was it for us talking about series we'd love to reread. SFF Yeah is sound edited by DR Baker. Many thanks to them for making us sound great each and every episode. You the best. Thank you for listening. You can email us as usual at sffyeah at bookriot.com. Please do review us on Apple Podcasts. If you have a minute, it helps people find us. And you can also find us online. Where can they find you, Jen? Mostly on Instagram these days at I am Jen IRL, and that's spelled I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And you can also find me on Instagram at Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. Talk to you later. 